Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And good morning, everyone, on this another beautiful morning in Melbourne, just after 9am, and you're on 855am 3CR, your only radio left time for left after breakfast. That is, if you've had breakfast, if you've had breakfast, you're doing better than I am, listen, I can tell you right now, and obviously a lot better than many people all over the world, not just in Nepal, but here in Australia. But in any case, we're here at Left After Breakfast, ready and raring to go to bring you the roundup for the week of the best of the left. I'm joined, of course, by Glenn, our resident historian, or his and her story, or more to the point, our story. And good morning, Glenn. G'day, Susanna, and of course, great listeners. Once again, on a Friday morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I've heard that before. Only Radio Left, 3CR, the Vox Populi. Bright-eyed and bushy tail. That's another camo. C- um, what would you call it? Camo quit. Camo phrase. Yeah, camo call sign. I like the camo call sign. When he wasn't talking about bright-eyed and bushy tail, he'd say pregnant pause. Pregnant pause. Yes, yes, you do. Now I'm going to cast us on a journey back to 1919 over to France, over to sunny Calais. Now, as you know, is it sunny? It was. Might have a couple of days a year with a bit of sun. It's really uh, cold in this Calais. This time of the year, it's summertime. In, no, it's late not, spring. Still not much sun, but still. Oh, well, I suppose for them it's sunny. Well, 1919 was a year following the end of the Great Trade War. You know, the war which we millions died for democracy and stuff and raspberry, raspberry. Where millions died to get the trade routes open. Yeah, just I was just thinking recently. I thought, oh, there's been a lot of about Branzacs recently, but, you know, companies using Anzac image to portray their product. Why are we carrying on for? That's what the war was about. It was about betray- That's what the war was about. It was about trade and making profits. So why are we complaining coals and safe for using the Anzac image? It's, that's what it's all about. Well, yes, it is what it's all about, and you're perfectly correct. I mean, why should I be offended seeing uh, dead, young dead men, you know, and their mm. images being used to sell whatever? I don't even know what they were selling Well, for they didn't me. die for freedom and democracy. They died, they died to sell trade. things. That's right. And so it's fine, yes. Mm. So why do people complain I about the Branzacs? I thought, hang on, there's, there's an issue here. But anyway, let's go back to 1919 now. After World War One, we saw a lot of upsurges in working class militancy around the world. We'd seen in nineteen seventeen so after what had happened. Well, mm, we had the Bolshevik Revolution in nineteen seventeen, when the, the Bolsheviks seized power in Russia. We had uprisings in Germany, Austria, Italy. We had big strikes across Australia, England, everywhere, and the troops themselves who fought and died weren't immune to this upsurge in radicalism, and the the BF. The British Expeditionary Force. Now, they had suffered horrific losses. Around almost 700,000 troops were killed. Over one and a half million had been wounded in the war. And as the war finished, they, they were tired. You know, they'd fought, they'd died, they'd been wounded. They wanted to come home to England. And uh, 
Well, and the British military leaders, they weren't the most progressive-minded types. They thought, well, look, the war's over. Like, you know, we, you're not going to come home. When we're ready, you'll come home. You can... Was it built you in France and over six months, eight months, nine months? What reason? Oh, of course, they didn't have because to give they a could. reason. Did, yeah, they didn't have to give a reason, did they? Look, the British have long been famous for their brutality towards their own ranks. Because don't forget, in World War One, over 300 members of the British forces were shot by their own firing squads. And most of men who were mentally unwell, they had, they had shell, well, we call it PTSD now. They were shell shocked. Post traumatic stress disorder. These are men who'd been seeing their friends killed Seen and stuff. Indre- oh, yes. And they couldn't take any more, so they left their posts. They had a breakdown. And what did the British Army do? They tied them to a post and they shot them. Not like, oh, you need some help, we'll hospitalise you. No, no, we'll kill you. And the British were quite violent, and even after the war, they were still quite violent. So, you know, the war's ended, it's few months to go, and some troops overstayed their leave provisions. They were back two hours late or four hours late. They were jailed. And the British military jails weren't the most pleasant places. People were manacled. They were flogged. So there's these heroes who fought for 18th freedom... 18th century stuff. In 1918, These were heroes who fought for democracy. They've gone on oh, leave. Well, they're two hours late. Yeah. They're put in jail and they're flogged with cat of nine tails. I mean, what sort of war, what sort of war are you fighting, fighting? What are you fighting for? Well, that's what you were fighting for, soldier. That's the right. The right to be treated like this. And these men had fought for king and country. They'd won the war. We want to go home now. We want to have, we have families. We have children, wives, parents. We want to leave. And the British went, no, no, no. It doesn't work no, that you way. stay here. You're, when we're ready, we'll choose when we're ready too. So so then they'd, uh, okay, we've got to stay here for many months. Or we don't know. might be years yet. And uh, in the meantime, we've got a day's leave. And we can't get back from that leave. We get back late because there's no transport. Yep. Or else we're just late getting back because, hell, you know, we had a glass of red wine yep. in a French tavern. And we'll manacle you and we'll flog you for that. It's pretty. Uh, and they never, ever woke up to what they were fighting for, that that's what no. they were fighting to preserve, this disgusting, this disgusting bloody way of life. Correct. And again, that's it. Around the world this time, we had the Bolshevik Revolution, uprisings in Germany, Hungary, Austria. And the troops themselves got a bit of a touch in, in the military too. In Italy. Yeah. The troops were like, hang on, let's get ourselves organised. And they organised committees. It was like um, in the Calais region, there was the Calais Area Sailors and Soldiers Association. And each hut had their delegates. They'd meet together. They'd voice their concerns. And the, the leadership weren't impressed by this. Well, that's democratic, isn't it? But the leadership... could have stopped that straight away. Yeah, look, we fought for freedom and democracy, except amongst our own ranks. We couldn't do that. And um, one example occurred in, 1990, in January 1919. A young man called Prophet John Panting, who was an ordnance worker in Calais, was jailed for sedition. And this is the limit. This is, the, this is for some reason, the straw that broke the back. Over 200 of his men marched on the prison, banning his release. And they released painting. And the officers were horrified. How dare you? What? Mutinies? Troops? No way. And they locked him up again. And from this point, a huge, like a, one prairie spark starts a fire, you know? So one, one, one spark, spark starts a prairie fire. And around 20,000 British troops and French workers went on strike. They came together and said, no more, we're tired of this. And again, they marched on the troops. 4,000 troops marched on British headquarters in Calais. And there was a series of demands, including the release again of private panting. And panting was released. It was a deal done. Panting would face the tribunal, but um, there'd be no charges. He'd be acquitted. And the mutineers had basically taken charge of the Calais area. 
Nothing moved. Nothing happened without the authorization. And uh, there was newspapers. There was newsletters by the troops. Now, I'm not sure if they had their own version of Iskra. They were selling, they, you know, there was newspapers and newsletters done by the troops. I'm not sure if they had their own version of Iskra. Their own version of? Iskra. What's Iskra? Young lady, my dear, you I'm remember so what Iskra sorry. was? I-S-K-R, Iskra, the Soviet Journal of the Spark. Oh, a bolster publication. I, I, oh, look, I do apologise. I apologise, listener. I apologise, Glenn. I know I didn't know what it was. It's mm. the spark. Okay. And, and that's the spark. The spark. The- One spark. Like, the release of John Panning started this huge upsurge in British trip militancy. And it wasn't just Calais in Val d'Hilaire, Vendroux, Dunkirk. Area committees were established. Delegates were elected. And the British high command was disgusted. Goodness me, we'll, we'll have to do something about this. Well, we'll fix these men. We'll send their own trips onto them. We'll fix them. And um, oh dear. General Bing, <laughs> a very British name, General Bing, decided he it's would bring... It's a British name, actually. It is. He would bring other troops to quality seditious mutineers. So he set off one of his own soldiers. But wasn't very smart. He's in his car on his own. <laughs> he was surrounded by mutineers who arrested him really? and commented <laughs> in his car. And his own troops deserted. They joined the mutineers, so General Bing was not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Anyway, and the British High Command thought, hang on, this isn't working, you know. Our generals are being arrested. There's more mutineers. They're in charge of transportation. Like the French railway workers, they said, no, no, no. The British troops are on strike. Go on. No, I was, when you said French railway workers, I took a, a well, without realising, and a sort of unconscious gasp, I, I have a thing about French rail workers. Please tell well, have a look at them now. You piss off. Sorry, sorry, listen. Good Lord. Well, I'm speaking Excuse French. Uh, you know, if you, you piss off. No, if you say to a French rail worker, pissez vous off, they get uh, they get very narky and they I'm stop the too. trains and they don't just say, oh, we're stopping work for a couple of hours or we're going to close or we're not going to work on, you know, Southern Cross Station. Mm-hmm. They say, okay, you treat us like this, we're on strike and they rip the rails up. I love them when they rip the rails up. The French rail Good. workers tear up the rails when they're on strike, the same way that the French French sort of fishermen take to the streets of Paris with French and, and with fish and throw their fish <laughs> at the Hall of Justice. I love them. Sorry, something well, about the French. Many things about them are annoying, but any French listeners, I apologise for finding some of your trays and attributes annoying, but I love your rail workers and your fish importers. Well, the French rail workers supported the British mutineers. They said, any British military equipment, any British troops will not be moving our trains. Non passeron. Oh, that's Spanish. That's Spanish. Actually, they'd say non passeron. So there was non passeron. So you had the French workers and the British soldiers come together in common cause. They'd fought for freedom and democracy. And they, they, they couldn't have it. What they were they told, couldn't have it. They were told they, they were fighting for freedom yeah. and democracy and they didn't have it. I wonder if they even knew what democracy was. Well, I don't have the British said. I think I've said to you before, the Germans were the most advanced society in the world no, in terms yes. of democracy. Yes. So when someone says, oh, look, you know, we went to Gallipoli for democracy, excuse me, <laughs> women couldn't, well, the Germans had the most advanced manhood suffrage. It wasn't universal, but it was manhood. You could say, in what sense, couldn't you? That that incredible expression, in what sense? How? In what sense? Pl- please explain. Well, I think the Greek uh, idea of demos, uh, people think that was democracy, the birth of democracy, and it was for a handful of rich men. Yeah. 
Again, democracy as we know it is really a 20th century concept. It's a 20th century notion. Notion and concept. Yeah, but uh, has it ever been... No, I don't think anywhere we've actually had it. But we, yeah, we might and come back to it. Yeah, I'll finish on my railway story. Sorry, go on. I, you, anyway, I love the railway stories. So the French French rail worker said no passing. They would not load British equipment or trips on trains. So the British High Command finally came to their senses, apart from General Bing. So the British, well, <laughs> he'd gone up in the car his own ten miles from his troops. So the Minions arrested him and took his car. This is the the intelligence of the British leadership. Well, yes. Anyway, but troops gain concessions. The British ruling class said, okay, look, we're going to give up. Okay, We'll give you new huts. We'll give you better food. We'll give you shorter hours on duty, more leave. And eventually the troops said, okay, we've gone far enough. We, we won't have a revolution. We'll just have some concessions. And it all sort of faded away. But the Erie Committee's lasted a few more months. And they're one of those things about World War I. We're going to hear about like, Who knows? About trips, area committees, about trips going strike and mutinying. Hey, hey. Uh, who, who, but where do you hear about trips mutinies? Look, even the Austra- I've discussed on the show before, but Australian mutinies, we don't hear those anywhere in Australia, like, you know, the trips going str- go mutinying on the Western Front. It's um, one of those mysteries. So there's a lot about the war we don't know, and that's one of those stories. But 1919 British troop mutiny in Calais, France, and um, begins those troops one by sticking together and by supporting the, the French workers. Now, democracy, my dear, let's have a debate on democracy or discussion. You were saying it's a, it's a concept, it's an idea, 20th century. It's just... Yes, but it's, it's, it's what the old Greeks did. And we can thank the Greeks for so many things, those old Greeks, for so many things of the way we look at the world, of the way we look at things in a scientific manner, unless, of course, you're a climate change sceptic or, or some rabid, you know, furry, underwear, hairy, underwear Christian of some sort. But, yes, we can thank those Greeks for everything, but democracy to them and the notion they passed on to history and to us yeah. is um, power being maintained by a small handful of rich old men. That's democracy. Mm. That's what it's about. So I, as far as I can see, in the 21st century, we still have the have handful there. They aren't the old ancient Greeks. They're new, new uh, rulers, but it's the same handful of rich old men. And they aren't even all rich old white men anymore. Oh, so I think Saudi Arabia is a classic. Well, I mean, they're still white. <laughs> uh, okay, they're certainly rich men. They're very rich men. And they're old. But there's no they're democracy. Always ri- they're always old, these rich men. There's no... De- I mean, that, that is... Now, you hear about, oh, you know, Australia supports democracy, Australia supports democratic changes. There's no democracy in Saudi Arabia. It is one of the most archaic, violent societies on the planet where women can't drive where people are routinely beheaded but hey they, they got oil that's what it's about you know and the house of Saud is one of the most backward examples of you know the it's the antithesis of democracy isn't it well oh look sometimes i just really want to give up sometimes i think what the hell am i doing care about why the hell am I still banging my head on this wall for and it's a bloody brick wall too I'm banging my head Mm. on a bloody brick wall I've been doing it for a long time and I think what 
why do I bother? It just seems to get worse and worse. And the more I'm, I, I complain, the more I march till my feet drop off. Bolsey told me to march till till my feet fell off. They still haven't fallen off, but they're really showing the wear and tear, I can tell you. Jeff Kennett said he was going to take down my name. I said he took down my name, but that's when I'm still... Jeff uh, Thank you. Thank you. Good on you. But, I mean, this is a thing. I think I'm going to give up till... Someone speaks to me, someone sends me an email, someone texts me, someone rings me up here on 3CR, and I say, no, keep at it, Susanna, keep yeah, at it. My dear, I'll, I'll quote the great Joan Lai. When they Joan Lai. Joan Lai. Oh, Joan Lai. They asked him what he thought was the benefits of the French Revolution. And this is 200 years after the event. He said, it's still too early to tell. Well... And it's interesting when I look at it from Joe and Lai. And we do get frustrated. Things don't change at the pace we want. Things don't change what we want them to do. But, I mean, you know, I look back at Eric Hobsbawm, who wrote something, um, what was it? Oh, I can't recall the actual title. But um, as you're saying, who would have thought 150 years ago Afro-Americans wouldn't be working in plantation fields today? Who would have thought 100 years ago women could vote? Who would have thought 100 years ago that the royal family of Russia would not be here? You know, things do change. The optimism of uncertainty. The optimism of uncertainty. It's a slow process. It's very frustrating. Glenn, that's a quote. I know that's a It's got to be a quote, unless, of course, it's Eric Hobsbawm. Thank you, Hobsbawm. But he said, things do change. The darkest hours often before the dawn is late 1941. The German troops are 20 miles from Moscow. And then the tide turned. 20 miles from Moscow. That would have changed the whole course of history. And it didn't. The Germans could not take Moscow. Well, they didn't uh, learn any lessons from, um, you know, from, um, from Bonaparte. Well, as, as someone said, history repeats itself twice, first as a tragedy and then as a farce. But you can't march troops across a couple of thousand miles of snow. No, you couldn't. No, and that's what Napoleon found out. That's where Napoleon met his Waterloo. That's a song. It's a song from the 1960s or probably from the 1950s. And if you remember that song, listener, you can sing along about that's where Napoleon met his Waterloo. Abba did it in 1976. Abba won the Eurovision Song No, 74. Abba won the Eurovision Song Contest of Waterloo. Oh, that's another song. That's Waterloo. That's the one. Waterloo. That's the one. No, the one I'm thinking of as well before. There's 20 years before that. Okay. And it's a song about Napoleon, sung by the man who sang the song about running bear and little white dove. Johnny Horton. Johnny Horton. That, you know the name, Johnny Sink Horton. Sink the Bismarck. That's Battle of New Orleans. We've got to sink the Bismarck to the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Now, Johnny Horton died really young too. Was he Canadian, Johnny Horton? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I mean, yeah, I mean, Battle of New Orleans, sink the Bismarck, a running bear, a little, love little white girl. That, that drum, those drum little beats. Little white dove. Little white dove, those drum beats. And they, yes. they both drowned uh, together in the swollen waters. Yes, that, of the, the banks, in the banks of the river. Running bear, young Indian brave. Yes. But uh, uh, hypnotic drumming. But yes. Johnny Horton died quite young, I thought. He was, um, I've got, look, uh, I could be wrong. He was young and he was Canadian. But he's certainly no longer here. Oh, well, that's a shame that they were... It was popular music, but it's probably called bubblegum, but I enjoyed it. Oh, it was good bubblegum too in those days. You know, uh, uh, who did? Uh, who did Alley Oop? Alley Oop Oop. Yeah, it was, it was 958 or 59. Listener, oh. if you know who 
recorded alley-oop. You don't have to know the writer or the yeah. record company, but you happen to know what name that song was released under, the singer singing alley-oop. What a ridiculous song. And who, who did Flying One-Eyed... There was, there was, is he busy a, I, when, yes, I there, know. There's two songs. It doesn't matter. I know it. I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. But what, you're saying one-eyed, one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people. Who did that? Pitch and toad, you know, as yeah. flying purple people. Leader. We wear short shots. That's it. That's the purple people. Or oh, what a sight to see. I saw this thing coming out of the sky. It had one big horn and one big eye. I was a flying one Something and it said, and I said, "Oh, wee! It looks like a flying purple people eat it to me." Yeah, and what itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot teeny, was that, around the same time. That it, you wore for it was the a cusp of the fifties and sixties. That you wore for the first time today. But if you know any of the names of these singers, listen, please give us the ring. You know the number nine four one nine eight three double seven. I don't have the text. And these songs are part of me. our history. We're not digressing, listeners. We are talking history. Well, it is. Not just Calais or Democracy, but pop tunes from the fifties and sixties. It is the historical segment on the After Breakfast brought by our resident historian. Who did see Baby Who? one would take me on a let I, I had oh, a cover Robert Ooh, Gordon baby. Yeah, Robert Gordon did a cover in 78, 79, but the original was like late 50s, Sea Cruise, and again, Won't you let me take you yeah, on Sea Cruise? That's the one. Ooh, so, so with Sea Cruise, Flying 101 Horn one People eyed, People. One Horn Flying People People. Itsy Bitsy Teeny Winnie Lab. Yeah, that Boca Dot McKenna. Alley Oop. Alley Oop. That and more listeners are part of our upbringing. Yes, and they are sort of historical stuff, and they aren't to do with that time. What did they sing during the First World War or just after the First World War? Probably the songs that... Well, my grandfather used to play the uh, piano. Well, mm-hmm. I, well when I'd go up, he'd... Um, no, the piano. On okay. some days, I used to go up every Sunday for lunch uh, after Mass, and... Uh, my pop could always be coaxed without too much trouble, could be coaxed to come out and play the piano. And he played the most interesting songs. They were music hall ballads, mm. I think. Like After the Ball Was Over. He had one about there was there were a couple of songs he'd start to sing and I and I'd sing along with him in my, you know, seven year old treble. And then my nana would say, Oh, that's enough, Charles. That's enough, Charles. I think some of them might have been a bit Almost risque. blue, risque, yes. What was music hall stuff? Vaudeville. Which was. war was? It's a long way to Tipperary. So World It'd War One or World War Two? I'm thinking it? was War One Two, because Ireland was still part of England in those days. Yeah, this is prior well, to a civil of war. Ireland was still part of England. No, all of Ireland was still part of England. Because oh, right. don't think in 1916 was uprising in Dublin. And the Civil War broke out after the war and the British and across the black and tans of the lowest scum, the lowest criminals in the come British jail. Come out the black and tans, come out and fight me like a man. <laughs> and the car- Oh, Glenn, you're bringing But they back. were the British, uh, they, the dregs of the British prisons were sent across uh, the black and tans. The phones are ringing. Maybe someone's rung up with the name of one of those singers from yeah. one of those songs. Good on you. 1916. Now, there's an idea aimed to be in Dublin next Easter. Mm. Easter 1916. Oh, God, yes. 
instead well, of turning up at the Melbourne General Cemetery there in Carlton, standing around, big, you know, because it's often. I don't think I've ever been to the Melbourne General Cemetery at Easter here in Melbourne without, without it being in the rain. Yes. But it's been wet and muddy always. And I well, don't like the cemetery. It holds too many, too much sadness. We were in Wellington for the centenary of the Gallipoli invasion, which is interesting. Oh, well. Well, it's interesting. I just, I just find it interesting. It's. We need to acknowledge it. It's not like we, uh, as I've said to people, it's a day we should always commemorate, but not celebrate. And people, it's like, oh, let's get pissed, blah blah. No, it's not. You commemorate. Look, I lost family, you as lost in family. millions, I millions lost family. Lost family yes. You know, it's, we should never forget those days. You know, and why or how we invaded another country. You know, on whose directions, whose behest was it? Let's not forget these things, lest yeah. we forget. And I never forget. The stories I've had later, I had um, the privilege of carrying around a tape recorder for an historian who was recording uh, stories told, um, well, oral history of some Turkish men here in Australia, and they had been in Turkey at the time. And I heard some, some chilling stories. Remember, one was a boy of 14. He was looking after the goats mm. on the hill and he could look down. He was sitting on the hillside throwing stones at the goats mm. to stop them wandering and his mother was down there in the house and waving at him and calling him. So he went down he thought something terrible had happened and it had. Mm. When he ran down, his, his mother said his brother had gone off to fight. Invaders had come. And he thought, oh, my God, the Greeks have landed again. The Greeks yeah. are here. And he took like a shovel, his big spade thing, and ran... Uh, down to sort of the Greeks, the mm. Greeks. But, of course, it wasn't the Greeks. They were Australians. He didn't know what an Australian <laughs> was. How would they? And another, I've just, when they were told their countries, they didn't even know there was a war on or no. anything to do with them. And there's someone hovering at the door to the studio. I think it's Ronnie. It you looks like Ronnie. Come in, Ronnie. Come in, please, Ronnie. Especially if you, if you have a... Ronnie, come on down, especially if you have a message for me because I think someone may have rung up to tell me the names of things and I think they actually have. I tell you what, 3CR has the most amazing listeners. And there we go. Thank you. And, yes, listener, thank you for ringing up whoever you were. You know, okay, I've got, okay, North to Alaska. North to Alaska. Oh, north yes. the rushes on. Johnny Horton, yes, another With Johnny Sam Horton song. Sam left Seattle in the year of whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, Johnny Preston. Oh, Johnny Preston. Johnny Horton, Johnny Horton did North to Alaska. Yeah. But they, we think that Johnny Preston did, did or maybe didn't sing Little White Dove. Okay. But guess who sang Purple People Eater? Shoot. Sheb Woolley. Sorry, come again? Sheb Woolley. <laughs> Sheb Woolley, good Lord. And Or, look, I'm just trying to decipher yeah. um, this message. So obviously, the person, who, the wonderful person sitting up on the front desk at 3CR is not au fait with uh, names of singers from the 50s because Johnny Horton's Johnny Hawthorne. Johnny um, Hawthorne, yeah. I'm not saying H-O-R-T-O-N. I'm not saying a word against Hawthorne. I mean, my uh, son-in-law yeah, excuse is, me. is a follower of this I team. don't like him. Anyway, anyway, shoot, please. Who, now, who sang Ali Oop, my dear? I don't know. Good Lord. We've worked no out. one knew. But thank you for the memories of Johnny Horton. Thank you, listener. And John Preston and... Uh, Sheb Woolley. And Sheb Woolley, for heaven's Who sake, Who has been yes. totally stumped. And talking of... Um, Hawthorne football team, and we weren't, and we won't. Yes, as I say, go Pies. 
the other day I was mm-hmm. walking along Smith Street, wonderful street, Smith Street, and there's a little shop there that's got all sorts of second-hand junk. I know him, yes. And I saw out Junk's the word. and I saw out the front a little tray, little box of sort of footy souvenirs for a dollar, and I thought I'll just have a look, you know. And I looked, they had these beautiful postcards of watercolours painted in 1951 by some watercolourist. And Hawthorne footy ground and a match. Glenferry Oval, my dear. Yes, a lovely paint, little watercolour painting. I thought, it's a dollar, I'll pick it up for my son-in-law. He liked it. He's a Hawthorne thing. Last year they played So I went inside Mm -hmm. to the, through the, my God, that shop is full of stuff. And uh, thank God he's got a shop and not a shed because his wife would have divorced him years ago if he had that stuff in his shed. I walked in and there was the chap behind the counter, almost hidden amongst, you know, the lots of, you know, memorabilia. And I said, I'll have this postcard about Hawthorne. And he said, oh, well, you're allowed to follow Hawthorne. And, and, you do. and I said, it's not me, it's my son-in-law. So he said, who do you follow? And, of course, what else can I say, listener? The pies. I said, go pies, with which he ripped open his shirt to show his Good T-shirt. Lord. To oh. show his T-shirt. <laughs> and it turns out he played for Collingwood. Did he? What was yes. his name? Cameron Doyle. Now, oh. I couldn't re- remember him. He played a few games in the 80s. He played about a dozen games in about 85, 86. You, well, you should have been with me because I didn't know because he said, no, I never remember He played 85. He would have been in there when... He came when, from Preston. Yeah, yeah, BFA. When Bobby Rose came back to coach Collingwood after John Cale in the mid-80s, before Lee Matthews, so it was 85, 86, Cameron Doyle was there. So, yes, I do know who he is, yes. Well, he's got this shop called Memorabilia. It's in Smith Street. You should drop in. No, because I didn't know him, but he did say when he mentioned Preston, I said, oh, Lakeside. So, no, they're separate issues. Lakes, Preston Lakeside doesn't have a team. I know, but it, it came from. But anyway, anyway, Cameron Doyle. His name's well, Cameron Doyle. Cameron Doyle from the Smith Street store. Anyway. A nice Irish name and a descendant of one of those girls who came on the famine ships. Right, it's time for me to depart, listeners. Oh, is it already? It's almost at time. It's getting around to half past nine, which is almost for time. The bag man on the Harley Stevenson puts in, so... He's Harley Ferguson, isn't it? That's his cousin. Oh, that's his cousin. His cousin um, from Sunshine. Yes. With the stump jump scooter. That's the one. Yeah. So until I return... Stump jump. I always get the word the Stump jump player. Stump jump scooter. Scooter, yeah. I will only say one thing, listeners, before I depart, and that is chocular. And after you said chocular, I'm going to thank... The listeners, looks like a couple of listeners who rang in with the names of the names of those singers from the fifties and sixties. Look good on you. I love the listeners of Three CR and the way they will just do that. If I just love that, but it, yes, Glenn, Shakila. <laughs> Flatland Boogie When the Mercury Yeah 
dance around like that, even to a bit of old rock. It's not good for you at your age. You are quite well, considering. Considering, yes. Uh, good morning, Susan, and good morning, listeners. Yes, I'm rocking around the studio. I'm, a, I'm never quite fitted in. I used to be on the edge of, you know, bodgies and widgies back in the 60s. What, you mean you didn't know whether you were a bodgie or, 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 or a widgie? No, the, Did you have gender confusion? No, the boys were bodgies and the we girls were widgies. Bodgies and widgies. We won't hold it against you. It's perfectly all right. It is the 21st century. Yeah. You can explain if you had some gender confusion identities. It's all right. Absolutely not, Susan. No, no. you didn't. <laughs> no, no, not at all. All right. But you but weren't I, sure if you were a bodgie or... or a, no, I was actually a bodgie. Or a it? sharpie. I know. It came next. I was a Sharpie. You were a Sharpie. Yeah, you used to wear the stets and the hats and the flag pants and the Connies and whatever the cardigans that they used to wear. Really? Yeah, it was a very exciting time. Um, <laughs> one of the funny things about, um, about Sharpies was, you know, and I, I go back a long way and I make no apologies because it was different uh, in those times. Um, it certainly your, was. Your girlfriend or your partner was called your brush. Oh, God, you Can you believe that? <laughs> that really was. Oh, I think... Oh, bring back the days. Well, in my circle, it wasn't brush. It was... Uh, forgotten what it was. Chick, yes. I think. Sheila? Chick. Oh, yeah. Chick magnets, all that sort of stuff. Women, excuse me, women of my age, or men of my age, people, listeners, humanity of my age, <laughs> if you were around Melbourne and you're at my age, what were... And you weren't... A sharpie, and you weren't a Ouija? a, a, a rocker. You were, what were you called? Yeah, what was the name for women? I mean, they, they were just slang names. They were just they were um, sort of shibboleths, really. A shibboleth. A shibboleth. Shibboleth is really a particular Jewish thing, but it's oh, really? turned into um, a shibboleth is a phrase or a word or something that you use to denote you're a certain class or caste or group. Oh, right. And they, they, they use something like a, a shibboleth, for example, during World War Two with radio signals and 
on people on guard duty, like the American soldiers used words like hallelujah, and they'd say, what's the password? And if the person said, hallelujah, they'd shoot them because they'd say, oh, you're Japanese, mate. You, you can't, you say, can't ha- say hallelujah. <laughs> so that was a shibboleth. But a shibboleth is also a word, a bit of jargon, really, that when you say it, you instantly prove that you belong to a certain group. Really? Yeah. Oh so. well, nine four one nine eight three seven seven. If uh, you were identified as a as a woman or a, or a man in those days, um, ring us now, and I'm sure that someone will come running up the passageway and tell us what they were, tell us exactly what it was. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, yes. Uh, anyway, Susan, rush. you know that's ringing a bell somewhere with me. A funeral bell, but a bell. <laughs> Sorry, Bagman. We digress. Right. Well, we digress Susan, sometimes. the worst Listen government that. in Australia since Federation. A Prime Minister has lied so often to the public. Remember, no cuts to health, no cuts to education, no cuts to pensions, blah, blah, blah. How national ineffectual. Disability, national disability, uh, yes, right. national We know he's a liar. How ineffectual must the leader of the opposition, Bill Shorten, be when, despite the lying and the damage done to the most vulnerable in our community, Shorten fails to land a glove on Abbott, according to the polls? Christopher Pine called him, a, I'm not going to mention that, in uh, Parliament. Yeah, we know what Christopher Pine... And Christopher Pine... Christopher Pine called him, we yeah, know. Yeah, and it rhymes with runt. We, we won't... Re- yeah, that's we right. Just, called yeah. him that in Parliament. And Bill didn't even rise from his chair. Now, Abbott shouldered him. Yeah, I'd be up and punch him. So would I be... You'd be across the... What do you call it? The, the ballot box or the message box or something? No, well, I'd be you'd be straight over the table. Straight over. Right. Um, uh, uh, Tony Abbott shouldered him in the same place, and it's on video, and not a murmur from Bill. How long can the working class expect this man to stand up for us? Well, the answer is no longer. Where's the opposition? That's right. If Shorten leads his country to the next election on those figures, he will be in more shit than a Werribee duck. The most abhorrent leadership that locks children in detention centres and is responsible for turning away legal asylum seekers, resulting in their deaths, should not be should should be about as popular as a pork chop at the Jewish picnic. But no way, Bill finds himself as having to eat the shit sandwich because he he's incapable of standing up to this corrupt government. Anyway, the next time the Abbott government attacks the class I belong to, Bill, stand up for me, attack them, give me a voice, give me a reason why I should feel proud of being a member of the working class, a pensioner, the unemployed or a single mother. But until then, Bill, you're about as useless as a one-legged man at an ass-kicking party. How weak is this opposition party when the most unpopular government in Australia's history is on equal terms with voters? We deserve better, Bill. Lift your game or get out of the way. Well, that's a heavy ultimatum, but it's only think get going or or get out of the way. Uh, what, where's Tanya? Where's who? Tanya. Tanya? Who's Tanya? All right, don't worry. Calm down. All right. Maybe you say Tanya. Tanya. So who's Tanya? Just carry on, please, Bagman. I'm not (laughs) going to sit down and try and explain things to you when when you're in this mood. I can see you're still frothing at the mouth. Now, I know the first time I saw you froth at the mouth, I thought you had trouble with cleaning your teeth or something. It's not... 
it should get so angry, it's not good for you. It's not good for your health. And I can see your heart beating there underneath that southern cross on your chest. Oh, listener, un- underneath your kefir and underneath the southern cross. I love to see the southern cross there. <coughs> the, but, yeah. yeah, good. And, and, what's, and what was the oath that was taken for the southern cross bag, man? We swear to stand by each other and to defend our rights and, and our liberties. liberties. Mm. I was brought up on that oath. Yeah. You know, I was asked uh, only yesterday something about charities, like if uh, is there any charity worth giving any money to? I said, well, no, not really. But I give uh, any money I have, and every year I take a certain Don't amount. Don't say to those. Never. Oh. Every year I take a certain amount from my income over the year, from... Not my pension, but my income, and it goes to Fred Hollows, the right. FredHollows.org. It's a Fred Hollows A worthy, very, very worthy that cause. that money goes straight to where it's going. Yeah. It goes mm. straight to help. It goes straight to build lenses in factories. It goes straight to perform surgery on people mm. in Australia as well as other countries. I look back, at, when I look at Fred, Fred, of course, was going to be a priest when he was a young chap. Oh, my God. And he thought, yes, well, he was going to be a priest. And he thought about it, you know, seriously and looked at his life and the world and decided, no, he wouldn't be a priest. Instead, he became a communist. Oh, I was going to say he became a humanitarian. He became a communist. Yeah. Well, priest. Did he? Yes, to the communists and became a humanitarian. I often go to the Fred Hollow's annual dinner. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah, and uh, it's good that you know that money goes directly there. Directly. I was hearing from someone the other day on a rival radio um, station oh, yes. that um, something like 90% of the money you give is taken up in administration. Administ- you're paying for fat bums sitting on directors' chairs. And the, you Bugger have them. and you have those chuggers standing outside of the banks, uh, ready to collar you. And they're quite rude. And, I, I have complained about those people. Yeah. Before. And if you offer them money, they don't want it. They want you to sign up to a direct debit uh, for a long time. No now, way. And we're not suggesting you don't give money to charities. Of course, of course you do. And uh, but the Fred Hollows Foundation is one of those foundations where you know the money goes to helping the people directly, and it uh, saves their eyesight. And if anyone out there knows of another charity that actually acts in a, chari- a charitable manner and isn't top heavy with admin people getting tons and tons of money, well then you can write to us here. Write to me here. Um, and explain to me exactly, or if you really are serious, I'd say you're the CEO of a charitable organisation, mm. which I which I say is which I allege not to be charitable. Get in touch with me, and I'll give you some airtime, and you can tell us on air just how good mm. you really are. I'm and quite you, happy, aren't you, Bagman? Yeah, yeah. Let someone from well, I don't, I won't have any, anyone from the Salvos on, no. but and someone from the other ones can come on, and they can tell me. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, interesting to note that those chuggers, yeah. as we call them, um, are actually brought out from England, or they're brought from overseas as professional. Um, collectors, chuggers, professional exactly, chuggers. and they are paid. No wonder I feel like smacking them. Yes, and they paid a, a sizable commission for each person that they sign up. So obviously, the money's not going to the the people that really deserve it anyway. I've been followed down the. St- I was followed down the street. I've been once by a big bloody ko- koala. 
following <laughs> me down the street. Oh, hang saying, on, I know that koala. And saying, saying with these bucket rattling at me. Yep. And saying, which one? I'm saying, no, 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 no. And I keep going, and the koalas coming after me, saying, you know, don't you care about? Don't you care about us koalas? Don't you care about the environment? Don't you care about? <laughs> and I just kept going, and I ended up walking into a shop to well, get away from the thing. And then I was, then I was followed down the street by another chunker wanting money for children, for children, for Unis, some bloody organisation for children. And I said, no, no, no. And I was followed by him also saying, don't you care about the children. children. And I'd had it by this time. I said, you know, and don't you care about getting your front teeth broken when I turn around and suck you with this. I ended up running my buggy into the shins of that person. But why, listener, why pick on an old lady pensioner wandering down the uh, street? You haven't got much money anyway. and uh, the the government's about to reduce your pension even more. But I, I actually know that guy that was in the koala koala suit. Good morning, Sean, um, and I hope you're well. Sean, is, Sean, was it you, Sean, that chased me down the street and rattling the bloody bucket under my nose? If no. I see you again, Sean, you'll feel my shopping <laughs> buggy on your shins uh, too. Good. And I mean that. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm you got a message from? I'm, I'm on air. I'm inciting violence. Truly, please forgive me, listener. I don't mean to incite violence. I would never do anything violent myself, at least not where you could see me, at least not when, when, when I'd already given due notice to the police that I was going to do it. But I do like to um, thank you all, and I'd like to thank the person who just brought into the studio a nice little handout about a rally. Stop the war on the poor. Oh, golly gosh. Oh, fair go for pensioners. 11 a.m. Wednesday, the 20th of May, outside the state, no, the state library now. Is that a den of iniquity? If, if ever there was anything, um, Every uh, every rally um, starts from the State Library Well, we've got Victoria. nowhere else to go to. Maybe, look, we used to march down <coughs> across and down the river and down to the riverbank. We that, can't do that, that anymore. That was on May Day. Yeah, and we used to go, go out, you know. Now we've got this Federation Square that's carefully designed so that you can't get a sort of a too big a crowd in it. It's actually owned by a private company, so you've got to seek permission. Oh. Uh, before There was a great uh, demo there uh, last Friday, though, um, with the Indigenous people. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, the aged pensioners, unemployed people, single parents with their children um, are welcome to come along uh, Wednesday, the 20th of May 2015, at 11 o'clock. Where? And, uh, at the State Library. Oh, oh my at, God. At the Dead of Iniquity. That's Thank right. You. Oh, you said it before. You did mention State Library, didn't you? I did. And I forgot that in an instant. Maybe it's because I'm an aged pensioner. When I was a, when I was a young child and living, uh, growing up in the uh, the darkened streets of North Melbourne, we used to go to the. Uh, it used to be called the museum in those days. It wasn't the state yes. library. It was just well, it was museum. the museum. Was it? Mm. And and it was free to go in. Yes. Well, it still is. I was there last week. It's still free to go in. You but you, it wasn't at the state library that you. No, went but you in. just get searched. As you go in, you can't take any bombs or anything into the state you library. You can't take your bag in there either. No, you've got to put it in a locker. Yeah. They can't search you when you leave. They they, they don't give you a pat down no. or anything, do they? Oh, well, if you're the right type of person. Oh. Anyway, did you see it? After watching Four Corners on the oh. ABC, you will be finally convinced that there is a large-scale criminal activity 
within government departments, large supermarket chains and employer organisation. The exported labour, uh, here they are, two fa- fa- favourite people, people on 417 and 45 visas um, actually shocked us to the, uh, to the bootstraps. Australia's reputation as a fair gay country that treats workers from other countries with, with respect has now gone down the gurgler. Now, there must be criminal activity involved in the Department of Immigration for this to occur. There must be criminal activity amongst agents and employers to allow this practice to flourish. Rogue food producers and large supermarket chains are as guilty as any others in allowing this slavery to continue. You say slavery, Bagman. That's a pretty darn heavy word. Well, some people were um, uh, allegedly paid something like $3.63 an hour and working 18 hours a day um, in unsafe um, uh, conditions. Now, rogue food producers and large supermarket chains are as guilty as any others in allowing this slavery to, to continue. If the large supermarkets deny any knowledge of this practice, they're telling your fibs. Blind Freddie knows about the work, about the practice, so why not large supermarkets? Now, I've got to apologise to people. I did say Blind Freddie. I meant to say sight impaired. Visually impaired uh, Freddie. Visually impaired Freddie. Anyway, the role of Fair Work Australia has to be brought into question also for the complete failure in policing the system. You know, you've got to ask yourself, where are the inspectors? You know, where are the prosecutions of these rogue employers or the migration agents that enslave people from their own countries? And that's true. Normally, it's it, it, it's Vietnamese um, people exporting Vietnamese, Chinese exporting Chinese, uh, and so and so. It's a totally corrupt system involving governments, crooked bosses, migrant agents and the real crooks who sell the labour to farmers at a cut price rate. You said supermarket chains. We only had a couple of them. Well, it Coles and uh, Coles and Woolworths and you uh, did say IGA and fast food outlets. Were they mentioned? In, yes, uh, they were. They were, so yeah. we can say them without fear. So, so it's all right to say Coles and Woolworths. Woolworths, and you can also add in probably Red Rooster and Kentucky Fried Chicken. And well, we can't probably add in Red Rooster and Kentucky Fried Chicken because we don't know. Yeah, well, they, they were named. If, were they named? Oh, yes, absolutely. Red Rooster and Kentucky Fried Because I don't want to give those names out. No. Unless I'm quite sure that Coles and Woolworths and Red Rooster and Kentucky Fried Chicken... Are, are playing tra- the game. ...are of um, yeah. La Pochetta. And uh, that's the pizzas up in Campbellfield, which is Della Rosa. Do you, oh, that's what I was going to say. Do you buy La Pochetta? Um, no. Because you'd be dodging bullets. Yeah, well, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, it depends. Well, uh, Dodging bullets. No, well, I didn't go to La Porqueta in Carlton. All right, okay. No, oh, yeah, well, hang on. I have. You might have at one stage. Yes, I, I have at one stage, but I certainly don't go to um, La Porqueta anymore, and I certainly do not buy that Della Rosa pizza anymore. That's right. They eh? make those nice rectangular pizzas with pumpkin and feta and things, and I thought, oh, these are nice. But And I they underpay their workers. If they paid them at all, they had them locked up in the, in the, the, the bloody basement, didn't they? Sleep in there with little walks over. Yeah. No penalty <laughs> rates of Della Rosa pizzas yeah, well, um, so working 20 hours a day and whatever. Not that I would ever, ever suggest to anyone, I would never suggest to anyone else that you don't buy goods from 
obviously corrupt and crooked employers. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying that I personally <laughs> am not buying any goods from someone who treats workers like slaves. Like, I don't like to get things from people with blood on their hands. Mm. Fortunately, I don't go to Woolworths because I haven't forgiven the managing director of Woolworths Australia when he donated, donated out of the blue, the chaff bag to Alan Jones. So that uh, he could put um, uh, our, Prime Minister. our Prime Minister in, take her out and drown her? Yes. Golly. And, and I thought, well, that's the end of you, Woolworths. I'll never go there again. But uh, but that's only, that's just my personal yeah. opinion. I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with someone donating a chaff bag so that some shock jock can, can, can say, let's chuck the Prime Minister in a chaff bag and throw her in the ocean, mm. which was, of course, a punishment reserved for women in Africa. In the old days, wasn't it? It was only women that got into the chaff and that then oh, they used no, to take bets on how long she'd stay afloat. That's not true. Not two days. That's how I learned how to um, how to swim. It wasn't a chaff bag. bag. Well, the hardest part was getting out of the chaff bag. I don't believe that. Anyway, you got to take into account the flower bag. Flower bag. You got to take into account that they're ethical producers trying to compete against these mongrels, but the future is grim when they're dim when there are no rules around exploitation or slavery. Um, it is slavery, isn't it? Yeah. Do we know any names of ethical producers? Well, I'm sure there are ethical producers out there that, uh, that pay their workers properly and don't try to. But they're under a lot of pressure from the supermarkets to keep costs down or whatever, or we won't um, pay, you know, we won't, we won't pay buy your, your yeah, produce. That's right, we won't go and buy their produce. Anyway, I reckon that there's corruption. There's corruption somewhere. It's in the Department of Immigration. It's amongst our politicians. It's amongst the supermarket chains, the buyers that work for them. Someone's making money high up. There's someone sitting up there in a government government position who's making money out of all those 417457 visas. Exactly. And you take into account, um, we're talking about Della Rose and had a first... Uh, when the union turned up and they had a flying picket and surrounded the factory, the first thing the boss done was call the coppers. Yeah. Right, so three carloads of coppers turned up, um, and then the boss was pulling his hair out because the coppers had to look around and thought, "Oh well, nothing here. Off we go." Um, no such thing here in this industry where people are being treated as slaves. No one would be willing to call the coppers because they might find something, mightn't they? Yes. Eh? It'd be the last place you'd want to be calling the coppers. Well, it's pretty much like having, you know, a house full of dope. And uh, I don't mean it. Have you? No. I'm coming around to your place. No, I'm just saying, suppose one had a house full of uh, smoking dope. Allegedly. Alleged smoking dope. And then someone broke into your house and stole um, your crockery. And then you call the police and, you know. They find the dope. dope. I mean, well, you wouldn't do it, would you? Though I have known people who've done so. I have known people who've. Uh, I, I've known people who've rung up. It's not me. It, no, it wasn't me. It just looked a bit like me. As they rang up to, to, you know, to sort of report a burglary, but the goods were um, recovered. And when asked to go down and, and identify the goods, one of those goods was um, something, something you smoke, yeah. you inhale. Yes. And the dickhead went there there and claimed it. Yes, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was someone who looked a bit like me, a lot younger God. than I am now. Yeah. 
Everyone's younger than you are now. One of oh, there's the... no need for that, black man. Oh. I did have a significant oh. birthday. Recently, you did too. But I, I don't think you should, you know, I really don't think Significant, you wasn't how, it, cause it, how because many it's, were there? Because it signified something to me. But, you know, every year they're supposed to send you an age pension card. Any age pensioners out there, they send you an age pension card each year. Once again this year, I had to ring up and say, look, my birthday's been and gone. I still don't have a concession card to show I'm an age pension. Will you please put one in the bloody mail and send it out to me and stop me hanging on to the phone for 40 minutes till my phone battery runs out and the bill's gone through the roof? Anyway... But so I, I re- did receive one in the mail, and instead of running out next year in 2016, it's going to run out in 2017. Oh God! So, you so they're w- counting on me being alive yeah. for two more years. Two more so years. that gives me hope. Well, if you've the g- government thinks I'm fine for two years, I must be fine. And you've got to have a concession card because if you go on the tram and you touch on with your mic and you can't prove that you're an old age pensioner, yeah. you're in for a. I'm, I'm going to be. You're in for up. a bit of biffing. Uh, I'm, Bring I'm, back the biff. I'm going to be body slammed. Yes. Well, you're not 16, 17 years oh, old. Oh, that's but, true. I'm yeah. not a 15-year-old school. No, they're they, the ones they'd who probably are just kick you in the ankle or something. silly of me. But then again, I'm, I, I might be an 86-year-old Greek-speaking woman on a tram in Northgate who was handcuffed, a non-English-speaking Greek-speaking great-grandmother on a tram in Northcote who was hassled because she hadn't tapped on or something or yeah. didn't do something about tapping. And um, and she was handcuffed be, be, behind her back, the hands behind her back, handcuffed and hustled off the tram. And while she was being dragged down the yeah. steps, she did fall on the Did she come out alive? on the road, just about. Well, home. consider herself lucky. Well, yes. Golly. I mean, yes, well, she could have jumped off the train, couldn't she? Yeah. On the way to Frankston, like anyway, that uh, schoolboy Anyway, did. Susan, we're going to be talking about one of Victoria's highest paid local government officials, the Chief really? Executive of Darabin Council, who is on no. almost, guess guess, folks? What? Give me a number. How much this bloke gets paid a year? $400,000 per year. What's his job? Well, we're going to be talking about well, it I next week. I want that job. Yeah, well, you can't have it. He's got it. Me and nine other people could do that You'd job. You'd have to knock him off. Oh, well. Well, maybe. maybe <laughs> well, maybe I, I, I can ask him out for a pizza up, up to La Porqueta. We'll <laughs> be able to solve a few yeah. things. As long as you can dodge bullets. Anyway, it's 9.58. Oh, so it is. You've it? been listening to Left After Breakfast, a very popular radio program presented by uh, Susan... 86-year-old Duffy. I'm... Uh, <laughs> you just wait till... No, wait till I turn this wait microphone get out. off, yeah. Anyway, we'll be taking telephone calls after the program. Uh, but let's go out in the same old way, Susan. Why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight... You lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast.